Hello, my name is Tim Meskine. I'm Executive Vice President and Chief Officer for EMEA at the accreditation body AACSB International. When I'm not on my bicycle riding through the streets of Amsterdam, I'm listening to the business school question. Hello, listeners, and welcome to a very special episode of the Business School Question, a podcast for anyone considering applying to business school. I'm your host, Marco Dinovellis, and on today's episode, we're marking International Women's Day and asking the question, do women work harder than men? To answer it, I'm joined by two women's leadership experts, Dr. Kelly McAllany, author, TEDx speaker, mother of two, professor at UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business and founder of the school's Centre for Equity, Gender and Leadership, and Alyssa Sangster, CEO of the Forte Foundation, a non-profit organisation which says it's changing the balance of power in the workplace and, through its Forte Fellowships, has helped more than 6,000 women pursue MBA degrees to take their careers forward. Kelly, Alyssa, Business and business schools have been historically dominated by men, and still today there are gender gaps in terms of representation and pay across industries. While progress has been made at some levels, the number of women in leadership roles still lags behind. Only 6% of Fortune 500 CEOs are women. Only 21% of S&P 500 board members are women. Although numbers are increasing, only 36% of students graduating from MBA programs are women, compared to 50% from law and medical schools. These are stats taken from the Forte Foundation itself. And all this begs the question, in business, and even in business school, do women need to work harder than men to advance in their careers? Kelly, let's start with your personal experience. Have you ever felt at a disadvantage as a woman in the workplace? Have you ever felt you had to do something more than a man or or differently to get ahead? Well, my first career was in banking. So I definitely uh, had some pretty significantly gendered experiences in banking, even so much so that I wore neckties in the 1980s. I'm embarrassed to tell you about that, but I did. So a lot of it was simply in the way we appeared to appear much more masculine. Um, But just to jump right back into academia, because that's where we are now, and that's what we're talking about. I don't, I I worry when, when I hear the word harder, I think it, for me, the word is differently. Uh, I do think that I have had to work differently than men. And I'll just give you one very specific example with MBA students. We've done uh, studies here at Haas that shows that Students, and that is both female and male students, evaluate female faculty differently than they evaluate male faculty. So out of a seven-point scale, um, on average, females here at Haas faculty score uh, two points lower than male faculty. And I'm not so sure that that is indicative of our teaching abilities. So when you look at the raw data on the raw comments, female faculty are more likely to be commented around on our appearance on our personality, on the pitch or tone of our voice. Whereas when you look at the comments for male faculty, it it is very much directed towards their subject matter expertise or their teaching ability. So absolutely just to go right into MBA students and how they treat female faculty differently. Wow, very very interesting. And um, Alyssa, can I pose to you the same question on a personal experience uh, from the past or, or even present? 
Sure. And it's a little different. I've been working for 15 years in um, an organization that's primary mission is to support women. And so I work with predominantly women on my board and in my organization. So um, my most recent experience is a little bit um, unique. My my prior history, though, I was in an MBA program. I worked for MBA programs. um, And then I was in the corporate world before that. And I would say um, less about my own personal kind of exposure to a, a, a challenge or I had to work harder. I felt when I came out of undergraduate, I was a liberal arts student and it was uh, the early 90s and it was really challenging just to find an opportunity. And this was pre- prior to the Internet. So there was no just searching around for um, the next job that I wanted to do. Um and I, I felt that I was a disadvantage, um, mostly from the exposure that I had had in the network that I had built while built while I was in um, university. And I felt like I needed that next step. And I thought that the MBA was one of those opportunities that would really give you um, those advantages that I didn't have coming out as a liberal arts student. Um, that's not in any way to disparage liberal arts because I think the education you get at undergraduate is is great, but. As I started looking around for that next step and and the opportunity to take take my leadership skills and use them in the workforce, I didn't see a really easy transition. And so I thought that that MBA was going to give me um, the next uh, the next opportunity that was most valuable. So for me, the MBA really did open up doors that I would not have had access to um, before. Fantastic. So speaking about doing things differently, Kelly, you mentioned you prefer the term different to to working harder. But from admissions to job seeking, do you think the business school experience, Kelly, is different depending on whether you're a man or a woman? Is, Is the business school journey you go on a different experience? It is. And again, we do a lot of analysis here. We have a gender equity initiative and a race inclusion initiative, which really looks very deeply in a data-driven way of how individual MBAs experience, you know, their MBA here. And we look at uh, the, the application process, the entrance process. We look at what's happening in the classroom. We look at what, what's happening culturally. And then we look at what's happening career management-wise um, and even just from an application process, we found a significant difference. So I think it was in 2013, we were at about 26% female MBA students. We started this gender equity initiative to really look at what's happening. And the next year, when we had females who were admitted to Haas, we simply did one small step. We had female business school students and female faculty reach out to the female admitted students before they made their decision to just say, hi, you know, great that you got into Haas, congratulations, really hope you come here, we're really focused on gender equity, here's what we're doing to make Haas a more equitable place. And our numbers went up to 40% in just one year. So I think one of the points to emphasize is it doesn't take a lot. I mean, the small nudge Uh, process for me is something that I think a lot about because sometimes we say it's too hard. It's pipeline. We give these just blanket excuses. And what we found is it's not true. A small nudge made a big difference here. Wow. And Alyssa, you're, as well as uh, being CEO of the Forte Foundation, you're the former director of the MBA program at um, Macomb School of Business. Um, Right. As director, did you see that aspect? Did you see men and women's experiences different? 
I think it is. And I think it, a lot of it has to do with the number of women who are enrolling. And so back when I was at uh, the Macomb School, the numbers were still in the 25% um, num- uh, range. And so when when you're on a team and you're in a classroom and you're still see- seeing um, that women are the minority, the experience is different. The The confidence you have to speak out in the classroom um, the the just just having more than one woman on your team as an MBA student. So when you're in a small group, even um, the the dynamics are different when there's just one woman versus two or three women. And so I think MBA programs, because we have over the last 15 years seen those numbers improve from back then in the mid 20s now to 36, 37, 38 percent, some schools over 40 we are seeing the dynamics on the gender side drastically change in terms of what women experience. So I think we have seen progress, but I think that we still have far, you know, more, more improvement to make, as you mentioned, between medical and law school, where they're at 50-50. And developing female business leaders, there's been a lot of research about how men and women are different types of leaders in some ways, they lead differently. And do you think business school addresses that or does it lean to a more masculine model of leadership? Um, I don't know if, if Kelly, you'd like to answer that. We are addressing that very openly in the classroom. And I think it's important to note that we are not just addressing that with female MBA students, but with male MBA students as well. Um, my whole theory is, you know, sometimes when I teach my courses, now it's on equity fluent leadership particularly for undergrads, but even for MBAs, I feel a little bit like I'm telling them there's no Santa Claus because we would all like to believe, and particularly when we're younger, that equity exists, that we've never been treated differently because we are female or African-American. And the data simply supports the fact that you know, bias exists in every single one of us, even biases against ourselves. So I spend the first third of my class just really bursting their bubble, which doesn't make me feel so good. But the second, you know, the, the second and, and third, third of the course, it's looking at strategies and tools, both from a corporate perspective, as well as an individual leader perspective. And we have men and women um, in the classroom. Well, and I, I think there, there's a lot of work being done, too, around female protagonists in the case studies. So a lot of our business schools rely on the case study method to – and even if it's not a full um, – you know, all the courses have it, there's a large percentage of your curriculum that's going to rely on those cases as examples for teaching. And if the women um, leaders in those cases are not well reflected, then the students are having a perception of a leader as always being male. And so one of the things we've been shining some light on and trying to address and work with our schools on is how are you representing women in the classroom? And Kelly's a great example of how how a school has kind of taken this to heart. And there are other schools out there doing similar activities where they're really looking at, you know, how many speakers do we have in a classroom? How do we call on men versus women? Are we making sure that the women are having a voice in that classroom discussion? Are we representing women leaders in the classroom so that men and women can see them? Women can see them and be inspired. Men can see them and learn different perspectives. I mean, all of this is so important in building the leaders of the future. So I think um, you know, there's a, there's a great role for business schools to play in really leveling the playing field in business um, in, in the future of business leadership. Absolutely. And we will come to 
men as allies, the idea of, of men's role in, in promoting women in business. Um, you touched on it before, Alyssa, about the MBA and the importance of an MBA. How far do you think today an MBA degree acts as an enabler for women in business? How far do you think an MBA can really open doors to those senior level roles, the boardroom, the executive suite, traditionally occupied by men? Is it a credential type thing? Is it the learning? Um, can it really open doors for, for a woman in business? Yeah, I, I think an MBA, by and large, uh, for men and women, is um, one of those enablers. And I think that it's one of the great messages of getting that MBA, because if you are looking for another opportunity, you're looking to career switch, which it seems like 90% of MBA students are looking to move out of what they're doing into a new field, but leverage their background and experience to build a next uh, step in their career. And an MBA gives you those opportunities, especially in the full time um, role to, to really think more critically about what it is you want to do and how you can contribute as a leader, but it gives you um, a chance to build a network, to connect with employers that you would never have had access to had you not come to an MBA program. Um, and, and for women, it does. It, the, the data we've seen is that an MBA will boost their salary by 63% or more in their first post-MBA job. So both men and women see a significant financial gain, but they also set their course on a different career path and journey to a top leadership opportunity that is very difficult to get to without that MBA experience. So I think it's really a critical or pivotal um, investment. Hi, it's Amy from Business Because. We recently ranked the 20 best business schools for women in 2019 based on female representation on the MBA. Big name schools in the top 10 include USC Marshall with 52%, Imperial College Business School with 45%, and the Tuck School at Dartmouth with 45%. If you're curious about the full list, you can find it at businessbecause.com. And uh, in your experience, Kelly, and maybe even in the workplace, have you noticed that females with an MBA have more opportunities, maybe just because of the credential as well as the networking opportunities from, from the degree? I do think the credential is quite necessary and possibly more necessary for, for females. You know, there's this, when you look at, um, when you're doing a performance appraisal or even looking at a candidate for a job, there's this phenomenon that happens with, you know, related to bias that if uh, a man doesn't have a credential or a specific experience that shows up on his resume, the assumption is, well, he can do it. If a woman is missing that same bit of work or credential, the assumption is, you know, I haven't seen her do this yet. Let's give her another year before we promote her. So I do think that female resumes and job performances have to be more robust. Alyssa mentions the network, which is really critical. The other thing I hear our female MBA students tell me uh, as they exit the MBA program is that they've really gained confidence. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that is necessarily that females come in with a lower level of confidence. I think that females get a lot more negative messaging along our way from the time we're in eighth grade and we are told we can't do math or we're not as good at math. So over time, negative messaging can chip away at our confidence. It's not so much that we inherently have less confidence. So I, I think the confidence is the other piece of it. I think it's also one of those things that we've seen in the research too, that that women who have 
that in order to re- attain the same level of success, women have to achieve one more degree than men have to. So if a, you go and get your MBA, you have one more than all of the uh, bachelor's degrees out there. Um, and so you, again, you, that builds confidence too. I think you've attained something that others haven't, but it also is deals with that perception issue. And that's that, oh, well, look what they have that this other candidate does not have. So it gives them that one um, additional degree on their resume. Um, and just quickly to, to get on top of that, what's what's the solution? Is it uh, more women at senior levels? To, is, is that simply the solution to those sorts of problems? I think that, yes, that, that having more women in senior leadership is um, critical to solving this problem. And I think that, uh, you know, we, we did some research recently on the gender pay gap. And when you looked at the uh, marketing industry where there are uh, very balanced leadership slates in most of those companies, the, the number of women entering those firms is also very balanced, 50-50, maybe even more women than men. Um you, you saw that the pay gap was much smaller. And then when you looked at industries where women were not in leadership um, and didn't have maybe the power within those industries, you didn't see, I mean, you saw a much wider pay gap. And I think part of that is also because the study revealed that men don't think the pay gap exists in the same way that women see the pay gap. And so if it's not a top priority for those men, they're not going to be addressing this issue within their organization because they have many, many, any other issues to deal with. But if their perception is that the pay gap doesn't exist, it's not something that they're going to focus on. So I think, though, if women were in that position and they had a a sense that the pay gap did need to be addressed, then they would be addressing it. And I I think you see that in the balance between, say, marketing and maybe what's happening in the financial uh, services industry. So I think there's there's a lot to be said for having women um, in those senior leadership roles to solve the problem. Absolutely. And let's go back to that idea of approaching business school differently. Um, A recent study by researchers at Kellogg School of Management concluded that women need to network differently to men in order to find success in business. That that more than men, women need a close-knit support network of other women in order to gain gender-specific insight into the organisation's they might work in. Um, Kelly, if I can ask you, does, does that notion, and maybe coupled with um, harassment that we've seen women receive in the workplace, mean female students have a responsibility to help each other at business school more than men? And on top of that, something we mentioned before, what role do men have to play in all this? Yeah. I, I do think that women have a responsibility to network and to, to develop a support system with other women and to, to share things like salary or, you know, challenges they're having in the workplace, whereas women tend to think it's déclassé to talk about salary. But I actually believe that it's everybody's obligation to develop support networks for other human beings. It's really not a male-female thing. It is just a human nature thing. Um, so I don't want to underestimate the the responsibility for men. We have a program here at Haas called May Ambassadors, and it does look at what are the tools that men can use to support other women and support women on their own in their own leadership or calling other men out when they hear a sexist joke or, you know, just when you're doing a performance appraisal, if you hear different language, different criteria being used to calibrate a female employee versus a male employee, speak up, speak out. 
Yeah, I think on the male ally side too, we've been working not only at the business schools where we've, we now see, I think 40 of our 54 business school partners have uh, some type of ambassadors, male allies, men as allies chapter on their campus. And having MBA men um, as a part of this conversation uh, while they're in business school, learning kind of the vocabulary and the issues and becoming aware of the problems in a safe place on campus before they're actually out being that leader they have to be in the in the corporate world or in an entrepreneurial effort um, that gives them a place to practice to become comfortable with it to be the advocate that they are trying to be and so having these kind of um, chapters on these campuses is really critical but what we also saw was that as they graduated the men wanted a place to have a voice in the corporate world and when they when they got into their positions right after MBA, they didn't really see how they were supposed to plug in and and be that advocate. And so they wanted something more. They wanted um, a corporate version of this male allyship. So we built a corporate toolkit and we're in the process right now of building a curriculum that is a nine module curriculum that, that companies can actually use within their firms to talk more about male allyship. And they can bring along groups of men who have raised their hand and said, yes, I'd like to be a part of the male ally conversation and give them the foundation and the access that they need within that firm or company in order to be to build that sense um, of male allyship across the organization. So I think there's still a great deal to be done, but I think men raising their hand and saying, I want to come alongside this gender equity conversation is really critical. Um, I don't think women have to convince them, but I think men need to be um, aware and available to have these conversations so that they can be the best leader that they're meant to be. Yeah, so still a lot of work to be done, but it sounds like at business school, there's certainly a lot of um, progress. Um, but after business school, graduates are still faced with the gender pay gap in many industries. Kelly, I know you've done research on this. Um, why does the gender pay gap persist, in your opinion? And do women have to do anything differently when it comes to negotiating salaries or bonuses, for example? Very timely. My lecture in an hour from, from now is on pay gap. So again, I get to go in and bur burst, burst their bubble and tell them that there is exactly, you know, there is a pay gap that um, at least in the U.S., women are earning 82 cents on the dollar. Now, let me say something that I don't think makes it into the conversation nearly enough, and it should every time. That is the white woman to the white male dollar are our, our, in the US, our Latina and African-American women are, are doing far worse. I think the last I checked for an African-American female, it's 62 cents on the dollar for what a white male makes. And for a Latina female, it's 54 cents. So I don't think we talk about that enough, or we should talk about it every single time we bring up pay gap, but the pay gap exists, lots and lots of reasons. But if you control for everything, college major, function, years in the job. If you control for everything that economists love to control for, 11% of the pay gap is not explained by any of those factors. So it comes right down to unconscious bias. And all of us are biased. Um, you know, I, I know people hate to be told that they are unconscious and biased. So I tend to talk about it as conscious inclusion. But to your point on negotiation, I think there's this myth that women don't ask. And if you look at McKinsey and leanin.org, who have been producing a, a report annually for the past, I believe, three years, 
it shows that women are asking at absolute equal percentages uh, as men. What happens is there's a different perception of a female who negotiates just as hard or even as similarly, even similarly to a man. You can use actors and actresses to, to, you know, role play a negotiation and then look at how those two individuals are perceived. There's a likability bias where when a female negotiates exactly to script as a male does, she is seen as less likable, more selfish and like less of a team player. And Kelly, just to ask, your class at Haas, um, is that um, part of the core curriculum or is it an ele elective course? It's an elective course. Uh, and what's the proportion of men and women signed up to it? Yeah, it changes a little bit every year. But at the MBA level, I see fewer men at the undergraduate level. I'm not exactly sure why. But at the MBA level, it fluctuates anywhere between, I would say, 28% to 35% male. It does go up every year. Um, I think part of it is just perception and, and at least at Haas, um, students really affect what classes are taken. And, you know, at first I think I even ch changed the name. Here's a great example. The percentage went up a lot this fall. It went up to 40% male. The old name of the course was the business case for investing in women. I could imagine why a man would look at that and say, okay, I, I'm not a woman. Um, now I, I call it equity fluent leadership, the value of equity fluent leadership. To Alyssa's earlier point, this is about becoming uh, the best leader you can be, which is one reason why students come and get their MBA. So simply that name change has drawn a lot more men into the class. Hmm. And, and that would be very important for men to go out of business school and have been in a diverse environment and been exposed to these lessons. Um, as a woman uh, going into, not myself, but say there is a woman going into and applying to jobs now and they're not going to be waiting until the gender pay gap changes, what, what advice do you have for them in terms of how they should approach that conversation when it comes to negotiating a salary with, with all the gender pay gap issues in mind? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for, for MBA women, I think as you're graduating, I think you know, if you see a pay gap there, it's probably not um, from two people who are working, going into a job at McKinsey, making different money. It might be based on the company that a woman chooses versus a man chooses. So you do see a little bit of a gap there at graduation. And I think it's hard to negotiate out of the MBA because I think many of the salaries are set um, depending on the company you're talking to. So I, I wouldn't, say they needed to be too concerned about it at graduation. But I think as you move into your um, uh, professional role, um, I think making sure you always know what you're worth and making sure you've had conversations with headhunters, with your peers, that you're aware of what other companies are looking for and that you're not settling into a role for the next 15 years without looking at the landscape or the market to know what it is you're valued at and to know what those opportunities are. I think internally with a company, it's always important to be having that conversation with your um, supervisor um, or your sponsor. I think finding a sponsor within corporate uh, a corporate setting is really important um, and making sure that you have someone who can be that advocate for you. Because where we see the change in salary happening, it can be in something like an opportunity that you weren't able to take because you were not considered for the role because someone wasn't there to put your hat in the ring. And this kind of 
of goes back to the unconscious bias that Kelly was mentioning. You, you That's what happens is a supervisor thinks, hmm, who should I put on this plum assignment? Oh, she's probably not going to want that because I know she has this going on or that going on. I'm going to put him in there because I know he won't care. Or I've, I've even heard somebody saying, I'm going to give her the increase in salary. I mean, him the increase in salary, because if I don't, he's going to make more noise about it than she will. And if that's the choice I have to make, then that's going to be easier for me. So there are these these very kind of micro decisions you make that build this inequity. And that's why it's so hard to really go into an organization and suss out the root of that, because it is the micro inequities that are really causing um, the pay gap. Um, you know, it's hard to go back and root out the cause of that inequity because it's it's been kind of a small incremental change. So I think we've concluded that the path to success for women in business at business school is certainly different. We, we haven't even spoken about um, the aspect of having children and having families and women's natural life is certainly different to a man's and there are challenges that as a society we still need to overcome. Um, but Kelly and then Alyssa, if I can push you both on the question at hand with everything we've said in mind, do women at business school in the workplace with all these obstacles, do they have to work harder than men? Again, I'll just and I'll just sum up. In my opinion, it is different. I, I I really, I guess it's hard to know if I'm working harder than the male colleague be, beside me. But I know that uh, if I leave early to pick up a child from rugby practice, I am perceived very differently than if a male leaves work early to pick up a child from rugby practice. He is seen as what a great father. That is so sweet that he's helping his wife out. Whereas for a female, it is often I think she's not as committed to this job. I think, you know, we need to give her, as Alyssa said, uh, a less challenging assignment, an assignment that does not require travel. So a solution, very simply, men speak up and say, I am not leaving work early because I am a good, you know, helping my wife. I want to leave early. I want to spend time with my kids. It's no different being a dad than it is being a mom where, we like to be with our children. I think that's a pretty reasonable human reaction when you have children. Yeah, I think I think leaders need to do that, especially um, to kind of set the bar and the expectation for what their team, um, whether it be male or female, what they're doing in their personal life is just as important, um, whether you are a man or a woman, um, and that the, the, the company respects that and values that in their employees. And that's one of the things that makes them good employees is also having healthy personal lives and families yeah. that they're supporting. I do think women... Um, are often left uh, with a lot of responsibilities that perhaps men don't have in their personal lives. And I think societally, we're still seeing that that's a big shift that has to occur and that men are stepping up and taking on more of the responsibility um, with their family, with their kids, with their, maybe it's their elder parents. Um, there's a lot of other baggage that we carry through this life and it's not all corporate and um, business. And so whatever companies can do, I think, to balance that, to support their employees in going through these things. Um, and I think what leaders can do is, is as, as I said earlier, really show that, you know, companies want whole, well-rounded employees and that they're committed to developing these human beings that they brought into the world as much as they are the employees they work with eight hours, 10 hours a day. 
Fantastic. Well, very thought-provoking stuff for men and women. Uh, so thank you, Kelly, and thanks, Alyssa. And thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Business School Question. You can download our podcast on iTunes on your iOS device, open the podcast app, then tap browse at the bottom of the screen and type in the business school question. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate and review it. The business school question is brought to you by the team at Business Because. Whether you're considering an MBA, EMBA or business master's program, read more business school news and get practical resources to help your business school application on businessbecause.com.